0: So as we're just a week and a half away from Great and Holy Lent, I thought it would be very good to remind ourselves of one of the spiritual disciplines in particular, one of the grace gifts that God has given us all, that we all are about during this season of Great and Holy Lent. And that's fasting. That's fasting. So let's start off like this. And, and listen, don't don't worry about your answers. I'm just curious what things are on your heart when I ask you the question: Why do we fast? Why did God call His people to fast, and particularly to fast from from food? Why do we fast? Doesn't have to be the most theological. I'm just asking. What do you what do you know so far? What's your understanding, Marilyn?
1: We fast to give up something for God and to deprive ourselves of something
0: giving up something that we're attracted to in order to point ourselves to God. Okay, good, good. Yes? To help manage our priorities. To help manage our priorities. What's really important? What do we really need? Good. Somebody else said, Jonathan? Hunger serves as a trigger to remind you to pray. Yeah. Much like our desires trigger us to sin. <laughs> right. No, there there are hungers within us all, aren't there? Doesn't mean they're good, but they're, some are good, some are bad. And it's to begin to discern those hungers and to increase the hunger and thirst for righteousness, like you just said, as Jesus Jesus gave us. Yes. Any other thoughts? Yes, Julie. To
1: strengthen our self control.
0: To strengthen our self control. Suffering. There's a bit of suffering involved with fasting, isn't there? Mm-hmm. It's not so, never suffering for suffering's sake. But in suffering, who do we learn to turn to? Very good. See, I have no teaching for you this morning, then. We're good. Everybody out of here. Oh,
1: I'll I'll take over, Father.
0: Well, Kat, please. God bless you. I've been
1: called a preacher before. Uh
0: huh. (laughs) Never a priest. Yeah, Kathy, your son has told me. I know. I know. No, I thought that today, and by the way, every one of those answers, every last one of them falls into the things that we're going to talk about. But I want to give us a framework that I think will be very, I pray, will be very helpful for us to strengthen our desire to follow our Lord's leading in this fast that He calls us to during Great and Holy Lent. Because always remember this, and I mentioned it this morning, everything God calls us to in Holy Lent, fasting, greater prayer, Alms, an increase of almsgiving in our lives. These are tools that God has given us to soften our hearts towards Him. And that when we take them up, we're really taking Him up. And He steps in those moments when we're obedient. And He works such incredible things in our hearts, directing our hearts towards Him. And grants us all the greater experience of Christ and all of the benefits of His kingdom that He is always, always desires to give to those that He loves so much. So, let's take a look and and see what we can come up with today that's helpful to encourage us on our way here in about a week and a half. First of all, we need to acknowledge this. Fasting has always been a part of God and His people and God's relationship to His people and their relationship to Him from the beginning. I mean even from creation. Did God, did God not call Adam and Eve to abstain, to fast from something in the garden? What was it? The tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? That was an abstinence that He called upon them. Abstain from that. Keep yourself from that. Because it will, it's not something that's going to help you. It will be hurtful to you. Okay. So even from the very beginning, you see abstinence in the Garden of Eden, in the perfect Garden of Eden, the perfect order of God. And then all through the Old Testament. We have, fasting is all through the Old Testament. Okay. Let, me, let me mention a few things to you. I'll read to you from the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel said, I should say God through the prophet Joel said. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now declares the Lord return to me with all your heart. And then he says how? With fasting and weeping. And mourning, rend your hearts, let your hearts be broken towards me again. That's what he's saying. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents, he relents from sending calamity. Prayer and fasting have always been connected together in the life of God's people. From the beginning, the Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, for example, God's people... Let me tell you some different circumstances where God called His people to pray. You heard one from the prophet Joel, which was, Return to me because you've gone astray. How do they return? Through fasting. Rending their hearts in prayer to Him. And in fasting, returning to the Lord. And He will show them mercy. God's people would also pray and fast at the, go- at the call of God to repent. Which is part of that turning and returning. But in times of repentance, they were called to fast and pray. To turn from their unfaithful ways back to their constantly faithful God. Also in the Old Covenant, God's people would pray and fast when they were in great suffering. When they were in great need They would pray and fast, and in doing so, they were turning themselves, praying for the mercy of God to fall upon them. To come and be with them, to strengthen them in their suffering, and ultimately to what? Deliver them from their suffering. God's people would pray and fast when they needed to seek His mind on things. When it was time and they had such a great decision to make, they needed the wisdom of their good shepherd and the guidance of to which green pasture should they go to and how. And so they would fast and pray to seek Him, to hear Him. If you think about all of those types of circumstances, whether it's repentance, whether it's time and great suffering where they were in need of Him, or whether they were needing to hear His direction in their lives, prayer and fasting always was for this. That God's people would turn their attention to God. Think about it. That they would return from their distractions and every bit of it, whether they were in need or needing to hear from Him or needed healing in the time of their suffering and deliverance, it was out of what? Need that prayer and fasting was born. And specific need, need for God and God alone. And so in the New Testament, fasting continues doesn't end with the old testament. Jesus himself right after his baptism was led by the holy spirit into the wilderness to do what? Fast for 40 days. To abstain from food, to fast, to be with his father. To be with his father. And the result of his fasting and his communion with his father would be what? Temptation. Temptation and what was the result of the fasting? His time with his Father.
1: Strength.
0: strength. And he overcame the tempter in every aspect of temptation. We'll hear from a father on this later on. Jesus also taught in his ministry, even on the Sermon on the Mount, when he had thousands of people that were listening to him, he taught them that prayer and fasting would be a part of their life in him. When you look at the Gospel of St. Matthew in chapter 6 on the Sermon of the Mount, listen to what Jesus says. When you pray, do not pray like the Pharisees to be seen. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you when you fast. Do not look somber as as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face. So that it will not be it will be obvious. <clears throat> excuse me, it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, notice, did Jesus say if you pray and if you fast? He said when prayer and fasting was going to continue. And also in the Gospels, in Saint Matthew, in chapter nine, just a few chapters beyond that, some of the disciples of Saint John the Baptist. They come to Jesus and they're curious. Jesus, your disciples, we don't see them fasting like everyone else is fasting. And there were certain days they were to fast. Why are your disciples not fasting? And remember Jesus' answer to them. They don't need to fast right now. I'm here. I'm with them. They're totally present with me. I'm present with them. And while the bridegroom is here, they won't fast. But then what does he say? But there will be a time where I'll be taken away. Then they'll what? Then they will fast. So Jesus talks about... You see this in Acts of the Apostles. Not only the laity, but also the Apostles are fasting for all these various reasons. St. Paul talks about his fasting and the call to fasting in his his epistles. You, You see generation after generation speak about the value, teaching about why we fast and all that God does. Okay? So knowing that fasting is a part of our Christian walk, the real question is how do we really come to a conclusion looking ahead for this next week and a half? What's the carrot before the horse? If we're going to engage fasting, why? <clears throat> what is it that God does? What is it that we're really doing? And that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to watch about a 4 what is it, four minute and 15 second video from a series called Be the Bee. This is put on by the Greek Orthodox Church. This was designed for youth. But let me tell you this right now. I think there's now 130 little 4-6 to minute videos done by Steve for the ministry of Be the Bee that put our blessed holy faith in such practical terms for all of us to understand very easily. And that's why I want Steve to teach you for about 4 minutes about some basics of the church's teaching on fasting and then we're going to talk about it more, okay? So let's have a look. I don't think there'll be commercials. Let's
2: see.
1: Hey
2: everybody, this is Steve, and are you giving up anything for Lent this year? Sometimes people talk about giving something up for Lent, whether it's pizza or sweets or video games. Something we like. But that's not exactly how the church talks about it. First of all, Lent can be really challenging. But thank God, it's not something we do alone. And the church doesn't ask us to give up anything. Instead, the church invites all of us to pray more, to fast more, to serve more, to prepare ourselves as a church to celebrate the resurrection. And when it comes to food, remember, the things we give up, hamburgers, hot dogs, whatever it might be, aren't bad. Just like our bodies, food is good. It's a part of God's creation. Normally, in the church, we talk about fasting as discipline. For many of us, food is something automatic. We want something, so we eat it. In fact, for many of us, we're so blessed that we can eat anything we want, anytime we want. During the Christmas fast, we talked about how fasting can help us appreciate the food we have. It does that and more. Fasting invites us to take a step back, to not automatically respond to our cravings. Fasting invites us to think a little bit more about what we eat. Fasting is an exercise of our will and shapes how we make choices. It helps us realize that what we should do and what we want to do aren't always the same thing. We should want to be kind and generous and loving, but let's be honest, we don't always want to be. In the moment, it might feel better to be angry or selfish. fast is a pretty small one, but it can help us to make bigger choices down the road. We can't run a marathon if we can't run a short race, and we can't lift something really heavy if we can't lift something light. Say no to me for 40 days might not be the toughest or the most important choice we ever made, but it will help us with more important choices in other situations. Christ helped us to realize this in the parable of the talents. In that parable, a rich man travels far away from home left his servants to furtherance of money. And when he returned, he asked them what they did with it. The servant that received five talents had ten, and the one that received two now had four. When the Lord saw this, he was happy and said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. The Lord saw that they chose wisely when it came to small responsibilities them with bigger responsibilities because he saw they were ready. Eating meat or drinking milk isn't a sin, but having the discipline to fast can help us overcome sin in other situations. You see, when we're doing it right, fasting and prayer go hand in hand. When it's the middle of Lent and I'm craving pepperoni pizza, it's a chance for me to take a step back and think about what's important. I can go without pizza for 40 days, but I can't even go a moment without God. When we think through our choices, we think about why we're making those choices. We bring our minds to God. We pray. Even when fasting is about the food. be,
0: Doesn't that put some wonderful simplicity in our minds as far as what this fasting is all about? I know he kind of shoots through some things in four minutes, and we're going to look at each of those things because the way the things that he puts simply, quite frankly, in our lives are greatly—they're they're incredibly profound in our daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we get to some of the points that he made, I want us to look at something, going back to the Garden of Eden for a minute. I want us to look at how Satan operated with Eve, who would then go to Adam, and they would both eat of the tree that they were told to fast from, to stay away from. Okay? Because the more I go back and read this Genesis chapter of the deception, of the temptation of Satan, and the cunningness that's in his statements, it is literally our everyday dealing with our flesh and our enemy who tweaks it. Right there in the garden. And Satan's not creative. He's doing the same thing over and over and over again that he started with in the garden that ends up in the division of man with their God. Okay? So let's go back to that story. Look at it for a minute. First, <clears throat> excuse me. the command of God came, we've already talked about this, not to eat of a particular tree in the garden. The garden of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of its fruit. Okay. So the object of temptation used by Satan to cause the fall of man in this case was what? What was the object of the temptation? Food. 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 Now keep that in mind if you ever wonder why it was that from the Old Testament on, fasting always was not just, I'm going to do away with this, whatever I think I want to do away with, but food is always a part of that. Okay? Started there in the garden. The command was not to eat or they will surely die. So Satan comes and tempts Eve. First, Satan has Eve question the very words of God, the instructions of God. So the first thing He does is cause her to question the very words of God to her. Did God... This is what He says, straight from Scripture. Did God really say not to eat of the fruit of that tree? He attempts to sever her trust with her Creator. Severing trust is the first thing He goes after. Did He really say not to eat of it? Eve answers, yes. He said, if we'll eat of it, we'll die. So her repeating the answers now he's going to go to the next step. Because the next step, Satan twists the truth of God that he said. When he says, no Eve, God knows you will not die. God knows that if you eat of it, you will become like him. Now remember what the very purpose of the creation of man was to be. That we yeah, that we might be created in the image to grow like him, in the likeness of God. And so what Satan is basically doing, he's taking the words of God and saying, No, Eve, you're not going to die, it's going to be so much better. In fact, it's exactly what God wants for you. If you eat of it, you'll become like him. And in Eve's mind, isn't that why they were created? So he twists the truth. He doesn't turn it on its head, he just twists the truth in Eve's mind. The cunning serpent makes the object, in this case the fruit of the tree, something to be desired more than God himself or instead of God himself. In other words, Eve now has in her mind that I can become like God in a different way. I can become like God without God. You see? This is where Satan is going. And we see this in the very next verse because it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable. What did Satan stir up in her? Jonathan was talking about hunger. Satan stirred up a hunger, but it wasn't a hunger for God. It was a hunger for something to replace him, something other than him. Okay? And when the woman saw it, she she saw that it was desirable, so she took some and ate, and then she went to Adam, and the same thing happened. I want you to see the pattern. This is what we need to get in our minds so that we see what our enemy is constantly doing to us and towards us. That which God knew would not be good for His beloved creation, Satan twisted that deception so that the person would see that it's good, desirable. You see that? Eve, rather than having a sturdy and a centered temperance or self control in that moment, she became deceived with that idea that it was good, even desirable, and then that desire led her to action. To go ahead and partake of that which was forbidden by God. And of course, as I said, Adam did as well. It's just not the continued way. Look at every temptation that comes our way. We have to believe a lie. We have to believe a lie. That, okay, God ordered things this way. But in order to get out of that order and go a different way, there's there's no way we can do that without believing a lie. That this, over here, out of the order of God, is more desirable and better for me than the order that God put in place where He shares with me His fullness. That's the way our enemy works. With that in mind, let's get back to the video and some things that Steve pointed out that I think are excellent when it comes to why do we fast. He said, fasting invites us to take a step back in moments of temptation. To not always respond so quickly to our desires. You see how that might work. When we fast from things that we're used to eating. My friends, we are not starving ourselves to death. We do nothing that is going to bring us to illness. Hmm? But we're giving up some things we're used to, including the portions of things that we're used to. And what does that create in us? What happens in us when we lose those things for a minute? Hunger. A hunger. Something starts stirring in me. Now I'm going to choose one of two things. I'm going to choose to turn to God in my hunger. Or I'm going to go back to whatever I want to do. To fulfill that hunger. It's a simple choice, isn't it? And yet isn't it a very profound one? And isn't it the very basic choice that was there presented by Satan in the garden? What will I choose? What will I choose? What might have happened... I thought about this when I read Genesis a couple days ago. What might have happened in the Garden of Eden if Eve kept the fast? If Eve, with that growing enticement in her, called upon her blessed father to come and be a part of the conversation with Satan.
2: <laughs>
0: We'd be much better off... Until one of their kids messed it all up. You know that one. <laughs> no. But it all have you thought about that? If what would have happened if Eve had called upon the father that fellowshipped with Adam and Eve in the garden and said, God, I'm getting confused here. I'm hearing this. Come here, please join this conversation. Fasting presents that opportunity. Over something... Again, we're not talking about something of life and death here as far as like the the, the fruit in the garden. Or maybe we are. But we're talking about food that we really don't need. We can do without. If we begin to step... What is Steve saying? In fasting, we learn to not go so aggressively with our desires. We learn to step back for a moment and bring God into the picture. Remember in the beginning when people pray and fast, no matter what the reason was for, it was always a turning to God, wasn't it? So that's what fasting must be for us. That's why God gives us the fast, because He wants us to turn to Him. He wants us to invite Him into the conversation of our deceptions and our hungers that we really don't need, for the things we really don't need. Okay? Second thing Steve said, fasting is an exercise of our will, and it shapes how we will make choices. Now, we know this. Somebody tell me how any knowledge you have about how habits are formed. Jillian? It's
2: like three weeks for them to form, and all it takes is like two days to lose them.
0: Yeah. And, And how are they formed during those three weeks? How do you form a habit? You have to. Purposely Repetition, doing it, doing it over and over again, and it becomes a habit in our lives, right? And this is what Steve is saying. We have created habits in our lives, habits that are unhealthy for us. And therefore, our will is so easily swayed over and over again because we've created a rut that we kind of get stuck into. How do we get out of that rut? Through fasting and the grace of God that is there with us in those moments, our will changes to a new direction. It creates new and better, not ruts, but elevations back to God. By choosing over and over again. Every time, and this is true, I don't know if you found this true in your walk with Christ, but in my walk with Christ, every time I have victory over besetting sins in my life, My will to not go back with them grows stronger. My will to will towards the Father as He is releasing me. Because He's the one that steps into those moments, my friends. We can't get out of our besetting sins alone. But invite God into the moment, and He floods us with the resurrection power of Christ to overcome our enemy and be kept in Him. And the more that that happens, what's happening? A new blessed holy habit is forming. So fasting is an exercise of our will and it shapes how we'll make further choices in the future. This is part of our maturity in Christ. Third thing that Steve says, fasting helps us realize that what we should do and what we want to do are not always the same thing. Again, we go back to Eve. I don't think there's any question what Eve should have done. She should have brought God into the moment. She should have denied herself what now was a craving put in by Satan of the beauty and the wonder of this fruit that was hanging there and what it would do for her. When we fast, what are we talking about? We're talking about discerning the spirits. The Holy Spirit giving us discernment in the moments of our lives. And again, what are we fasting from? Food. But what is it producing in us? When the craving of our flesh for what we've built that rut for, for the thing that looks so desirable, but it keeps creating chaos in my life, when all of that is there, we need to be discerning in the moments. Remember what St. Peter says in one of his epistles that he wrote Be sober. Be vigilant because your enemy, like a roaring lion, is seeking the souls that he may devour. Spiritual sobriety is, and and it says this in the epistles, discern the spirits. What is of God? What will lead to chaos? If we're fasting, accompanied with prayer, my friends, we are learning that discernment, even when we choose not to eat that food that day. Even when we choose to minimalize that portion at that time. God is working all of these things into our lives. Somebody mentioned self-control. Steve said, having the discipline to fast can help us grow in self-control when we're faced with the temptations from within our flesh, our enemy, or both. The simple practice of denying myself what I'm craving in the moment with food... Will produce in me the strength of will by the grace of God to deny myself those things that He says lead to death. An athlete. How does an athlete get stronger for, let's say, the football game? Training, training. Training, and what does He do for training? He lifts weights. He, li- he lifts weights, and probably heavy weights. And runs. Yeah, He runs. Let's stay on the weights for one second. He lifts weights. Let me ask you a question. Does he ever do that in a game? Actually lifting weights. Now, he might be lifting bodies. But no, does he lift barbells in a game? No. And yet, his actions, his discipline of choosing to do that pays the dividends of strength and ability in the game. In the same way, when we fast... Yes, we're denying ourselves a little bit of food, or we're denying ourselves a few types of foods, but it's paying dividends in the spiritual arena of the games where St. Paul told us just last week that we set our face on a prize and we run like we want it more than anything else. Fasting, when we fast, it produces this. It produces this in us. And the last thing that I'll mention, throwing on top of what Steve said, is that fasting is always turning, as we mentioned in the in the in the beginning, fasting is always a turning to God in every moment. And that's why prayer that's why it's always considered fact you can't separate fasting and prayer. Because if all we're doing is denying ourselves food but being mindless about it, you are wasting your time and you're zapping your energy and nothing's happening. Christianity is a relationship. It's an experienced relationship. And when we fast, we turn to God in the moments where we are tempted to go and break that fast. And we find Him in the moment. And by the way, every time we turn to God, what is prayer according to the Orthodox Church? It's not the hours of prayer that's part of it. What is prayer? Fellowship with God. So every time we turn to Him and bring Him into the moment, it's prayer. It's prayer. Let me read to you some of the church fathers. Just a few. what they say about fasting. I'll start from the earliest, uh, one of the earliest we can have, St. Polycarp. St. Polycarp was a direct disciple of the Apostle John. And he would go on to become Bishop of Smyrna, and that was around between AD 69 and 155. This is the next generation after the Apostles. And they were fasting. He said... Let us return to the word which has been handed down to us from the beginning, watching unto prayer and persevering in fasting, beseeching our supplications to all seeing God to not lead us into temptation. As the Lord said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was calling, and that's, by the way, that writing that you just heard was a letter to the same Philippians that St. Paul had written Philippians to. And he's calling them to what they had always been doing and should continue doing, to be watchful in prayer, persevere in the fast. And what's the result of it? God will take you, not only not only will He not lead you into temptation, He'll lead you away from it. St. Basil the Great A.D. 330-379, to Cappadocian Bishop. Fasting gives birth to prophets and strengthens those who are filled with power. That means filled with the Holy Spirit. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. Fasting is a good safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the valiant, and a gymnasium for athletes. Fasting repels temptations, anoints unto holiness. It is the comrade of watchfulness and the sculptor of love. In war, fasting fights bravely, and in peace, it teaches and brings stillness to the soul. Last one I'll mention. A more recent saint. Saint Nikolai Belimerovi, Serbian bishop in the late 1800s, mid-1900s. This is where he brings our Lord's 40 days of temptation back right before us to show us that this is our way. St. Nikolai says, By his own example the Lord showed us how great a weapon fasting is. With this weapon he vanquished Satan in the wilderness, and with it was victorious over the three chief satanic passions with which Satan tempted him, the love of ease, the love of praise, and the love of material. These are three destructive greeds, the three greatest traps into which the evil enemy of the human race lures Christ's soldiers. And he's done so from the very beginning. Thoughts? Questions? Yes, Randy. I
2: the video that when we're looking at fasting from food, we're surrounded by such an abundance that. Another thing we might consider fasting from is fasting from variety Mm. and insisting on having a greater variety rather than simplifying.
0: It's all about simplifying. Yeah, bringing things to a simpler point. Absolutely. It's part of it. Absolutely. Good. What else? Questions? Thoughts? Yes, Marilyn. Okay. Um, Part
1: of fasting is adding on. Not just giving up, but adding on. So if you're adding more on, more prayer on you're giving up something, yeah. TV or something. Uh, so adding on is another form of pra- of fasting, and it's good for those
0: of us that can do fast. Yeah, and this brings about a great question. You know, our fast Monday through Saturday uh, through uh, all of Great Lent, Monday through Saturday, the the rule of fasting that we do our best to follow is that we eat nothing before noon. And then after that noon period, we have a quarter portion meal, which you can have for lunch, and then a full meal for dinner, or you can flip it. You can do a full meal at lunch or a quarter meal at dinner. Either way, that's the pattern. And we abstain from meat and the juices thereof. Okay? There are some people that take heavy-duty medications that can't go without food in the morning. My friends come see me, talk to me. You know, many people in this room have talked to me about having to adjust their fast to medications or to diabetes and conditions or other conditions. Of course, this isn't to kill us, it's to save us. We can create the same environment of simplicity coming as close to the rule as we can. You know, I remember somebody, uh, somebody asked me yesterday, they, they were they're taking some new thyroid medication. And they were saying they started doing this, this uh, uh, little shake in the morning. You know that, that helps with with that medication. Can I can I still do that during Lent? I said, yeah, but you got to pick the worst flavor that you've ever had. In <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's it. Follow your priest. So, no, but 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 in reality, what, and what I told her was, I said, okay, so you've got that shake. Try one day to do three quarters of it. Rather than the whole shake. See how your body responds. But keep it handy. You don't want to have a bad response because of your needs and medications. And check with your doctor if you want to. Based on the thyroid. The point is. We do what we can to come as close in cooperation with God in our fasting. God honors everything we offer to Him with everything that we can do. Okay? And Marilyn is spot on that fasting. Again, we got to stop thinking of what it takes away. It's what we're adding. And he even mentioned it in the video. We're adding prayer. We're adding serving others more. We're being more mindful to serve people. We're adding those things to our plate. And always remember this. Every time we move toward holiness, there's something working against us. That's why Paul says in his epistle, one of the things that he says is, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And everybody gets excited when they hear that until they hear the next part. And the fellowship of his suffering, somehow being made like him in death. Every movement towards God, we have to understand. In order to move towards God, we had to die to something.
1: It's like a friend of mine, Bill, you know, just per se, and we were talking about she went on the diet. You know, it's that time of year and everything, and she yep. was like, "I am so uncomfortable." And I said, "It's because when you're the mind, you know, when you're told." When you get so used to, like you said, habits and all. When, yeah. She said, I can't, now that I can't have it, I think about it all the time. Right. <laughs> she said, right. and I didn't want it before, but now I want it, you know. So.
0: Right. <laughs> that that, can, that the, certainly comes into play. And it's the
1: same thing when I was saying. in my own, you know, with my own issues and all. Absolutely. And it's, it's the, the same thing. I said, it's a distraction. And once you deprive yourself of that, you remove it. And it's uncomfortable, you know, because you've always depended on something. And yeah. you were depending on the wrong thing. But once you remove that, it opens you up to be able to see clearly and to bring something that's very but, different.
0: But again, you're experiencing a death. uh uh-huh. To life, and it's
1: uncomfortable. At uncomfortable first. at first. first, And you're distracted. And you're just you going crazy with it, you know. But
0: because we, and one of the reasons that gets worse on us if we're not careful is, again, if we're giving up something but not running to something, we're already in trouble. Mm-hmm. But if we we'll focus ourselves, and that's why I pointed out in the beginning, we must see fasting as turning to God immediately. That while I let go of this, I am going to determine myself to be more focused and with Him. And allow... He's with us always. We just need to be woken up to it, my friends. And we need to splash cold water in our face as we begin fasting and turn our attention to Him. And that preserves a lot of that battle if we'll do so. But there's still battle. But that's the flexing of the spiritual muscles that they're talking about. And, and why, why St. Basil calls fasting a spiritual gymnasium, a gymnasium for this. There's work to be done, but there's grace to be experienced more than you've ever experienced. Thoughts? Yeah, Jeff. Well, I think fasting causes temptation. Oh, it can bring it about. And, and if you can overcome that temptation, it's, you're going to grow your faith, and your faith will become stronger. Yeah. It doesn't invite temptation, it just comes. It, exactly it just comes yeah and we're more aware of it also yeah good any other questions or thoughts our culture is so spoiled and the Christian culture certainly outside uh, certainly outside of orthodoxy you will hardly find it's not that it's not to be found but you'll hardly find anything about fasting and when you do find fasting at least in my upbringing fasting was to try to get what i really think i want from god if you really get down to the theology that's presented but most outside of the church don't even there is no fasting in the spiritual life and and we're not special because we have it we're not the last thing we're to do is to be arrogant orthodox But the reality is that this practice has been kept, and it's been kept because God initiated it from the garden and continues it today. And for us, it is that means by which we can grow strong in our faith and the experience of God and overcome things we once thought not overcomable in our lives. And fasting is the means by which we do it. And God enters into those moments of our bit of suffering, our struggling, our temptations, the times we're enticed the most. And He enters into it and grants us grace to choose Him. And that plays over into our spiritual life in all of these things we thought we'd never overcome in our lives. It's very healing. Very healing. So you will be in my prayers and you pray for me. As we fast together. And you know what? When you mess up a day and screw up the fast, get back on the horse. Don't kick yourself and say it's all over with. Get back on it. Let God have an opportunity beyond your failures. Mm -hmm. Let's stand.